If you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. Uh, This passage has been called a summation of Paul's gospel. You know, there are those little passages in the New Testament where uh, the core of the gospel is articulated in a few words. One of them is a passage, may have been the first passage you ever memorized, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes on him should not perish but have everlasting life. Another one uh, like that is Romans 8, 32. He who spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? There are those wonderful little passages that allow us to explain and elaborate on the Gospels, on the Gospel sprinkled throughout the Bible. And this is one of those passages. It's, it's a little bit longer than those. But Paul is reflecting, I think, on Matthew chapter 16. Now, I know it's your habit to stand for the reading of Scripture, so I'm going to do that. But before we do that, turn back with me to Matthew 16 and just let your eyes fall on this passage where Jesus is talking to his disciples because I think that Paul has this passage in mind in Philippians chapter 3 verses 7 to 11. We're going to concentrate on verses 8 to 11 this morning, but I want you to be aware of what he says in verse 7 as well. But here's what Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Well, the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death, until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. I think Paul has that passage in his mind when he says what he says in the passage that we're going to read this morning. So let's stand and hear the reading of God's Word in Philippians chapter 3, and we'll read from verses 8 to 11, even though I'm going to sneak back to verse 7 and show you one thing as we work through it this morning. Philippians 3, beginning in verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection 
from the dead. Amen. And thus ends this reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. May he write its eternal truth upon all our hearts. Please be seated. And let's pray and ask God's help as we study his word together. Heavenly Father, this is your word, and we ask that you would open our eyes to behold wonderful things in it. Your word is truth. Sanctify us with your truth. All scripture is given by inspiration and is profitable for teaching, correction, uh, admonition, training in righteousness, that we may be equipped for every good work. So speak, Lord, your servants listen. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. In this passage, the Apostle Paul tells you what he's lost and what he has gained. And did you hear that language in in Matthew 16? Jesus talks about people who try and hang on to something and they end up losing everything. Paul talks about losing everything and gaining everything. So he talks about what he's lost, and he talks about what he's gained. And I want us to focus on what Paul wants, because I hope, fellow Christians, that the Holy Spirit will use this to shape our own hearts in what we want in this life. So let's start by thinking, what is it that Paul has lost, and what is it that he wants. And I want you to look at the language because he repeats it. You can almost picture Paul dictating this uh, to whoever his amanuensis is, whoever's, whoever is his secretary writing this down. You can see him almost saying these things out loud and then repeating them for emphasis. And go back to verse 7 in Philippians chapter 3. He says, whatever gain I had... I counted loss. Now, what's he, <clears throat> what's he talking about there? What kind of gain? Well, look, look back from verse 4 down to verse 6, and he, he sort of lists the gain that he had. Uh, he was circumcised on the eighth day. He was of the people of Israel. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a Pharisee. He was a persecutor of the church. As to the righteousness under the law, he was blameless. All of that, he said, that was gain in the eyes of his fellow countrymen. He was a respected, um, (laughs) very, very passionate uh, Jewish Pharisee. And uh, indeed, he was so respected and he was so passionate that he had persecuted Christians. And so he was held in high regard by his countrymen who were were concerned to uphold God's law and they viewed viewed Christians as traitors to Moses' law. And in in their eyes, in the eyes of his Jewish countrymen, when he was a Pharisee, he was held in high regard. And he says, all of that gain, that stuff I considered as loss. Now, what, what's he talking about there? I remember uh, a few years ago hearing a, a, a Jewish pastor, a, a, a pastor who had been converted from Judaism to Christianity and was now uh, engaged in ministry to Jewish people. 
And he, tell, he told the story of what happened when he became a Christian. When he, he grew up in an Orthodox Jewish home, and when he became a Christian, his father said, you are dead to me. It is, it is as if you were never born. You will have no part of this family. And he was cut off by his entire family, except for his grandmother. Isn't it amazing how grandmothers can kind of love us through anything? And, and so his grandmother would still speak to him. And one day he went to his <clears throat> grandmother's house. He said, Grandmother, I don't understand this. Your son, my father, does not even believe in the existence of God. I believe in God. I believe in the, in the God that the Bible teaches about. Your, your son, my father, does not go to synagogue. I, I'm, I am with the people of God worshiping every week. Um, your son, my father, does not believe in the scriptures. I believe in the Torah. I believe every word Moses wrote was inspired of God. So which one of us is the better Jew? And without hesitation, his grandmother said, your father. Why? Because he doesn't believe in Jesus. For, for the family, even though she loved him, she was honest, and, and she made it clear, your embracing Jesus is turning your back on your family and your heritage. I am sure that Paul had experienced that and more in his own time. I, in fact, I, when I was reading through these words this week, I was thinking, I probably have no idea all the things that Paul lost. I mean, there's deep poignancy in this path. He keeps talking about the things that he's lost. Look, look at verse 7 again. He says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. Then look at verse 8. I count everything as loss. So he, you know, he, he, he lists those things that were viewed as gain in the eyes of his countrymen. He says, I counted those things lost. Then he says, I counted everything as loss. And then, notice he goes on to say, I have suffered the loss of all things. So, the things that I'd gained, I counted lost. I counted everything as lost. I've suffered the loss of all things. And then look one more time. He says it. He says, I count them as rubbish. So <laughs> four times he amplifies what he's given up, what he's lost. Now you have to ask yourself, what does he want? If he's willing to give all that up, what is it exactly that he wants? And it's very clear, and it's very simple. And, and, and he says it four times as well. Go back to verse 7. Whatever gain I had, I counted loss for what? For the sake of Christ. So I was willing to lose my gain in order that I could get Christ. For the sake of Christ. Then look at verse 8. I count everything as loss. Why? Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. This is the only passage in Paul's letters where he uses the word Christ Jesus, my Lord. Speaks of him in the singular. He's my Lord, the possessive, my Lord. 
the surpassing worth of knowing him. So it's for the sake of Christ, it's for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Look at the next thing he says, verse 8. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. So for the sake of Christ, for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for his sake, and then one more time, just in case you've missed this, end of verse 8, in order that I may gain Christ. Paul wants Christ more than anything. Everything is worth giving up if he can have Christ. Why? Well, he tells you in verses 9, 10, and 11. Because in Christ... He has found a righteousness the likes of which he had never experienced before. In Christ, he has found help in holiness the likes of which he had never experienced before. In Christ, he has a hope for eternity the likes of which he had never had before. Justification, verse 9. Sanctification, verse 10 glorification, verse 11. So in Christ, he's found all three of those things. Let's just look at them together. That I may gain Christ, verse 8, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. Now that's really interesting language. he's, He's willing to give up and suffer loss that he may gain Christ, and then this interesting language, and be found in him. Now, if you look back to chapter 2, where Paul, in verses 5 to 11, is talking about Jesus, he talks about Jesus being found in the form of a man. Here, he says, I want to be found in him. I want to be found in Christ. And when he's found in Christ, what is that going to involve? Verse 9, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. In other words, Paul wants a righteousness that is not a self-righteousness. One of the things that's very clear when you read the Gospels, as Jesus interacts with Pharisees in the New Testament, what are are the two things that he's constantly accusing them of? On the one hand, self-righteousness. On the other hand, hypocrisy. They make a lot of noise about being godly, but they're actually hypocrites. And they want to be thought of as righteous. So, for instance, in the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about people who will go out onto the street corners to pray. Why? So that people will see their prayers and think of them as righteous. In other words, they've got a righteousness that they want to, uh, what they're looking for is other people to think highly of them. 
And Paul understood the emptiness of that. And he said, I've, in Christ, I've got a righteousness that's real because it's his righteousness. My, my righteousness evaporates under the scrutiny of God's word. His righteousness does not evaporate because he never sinned. And it's, I get his righteousness by trusting in him. His righteousness is credited to my account. It's a real righteousness. So that, remember back in Matthew 16, Jesus is talking about the day when they're going to stand before God. And when he stands before God, Paul's saying, I'm not going to stand in my trying to be good. I'm going to stand in Jesus' perfection on my behalf. In other words, in Christ, I've found a righteousness beyond anything that I have ever achieved myself. That's the glorious truth of justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We don't stand before God and say, God, I've tried to be a good person. We stand before God and we say, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Paul's saying, that's why I want Christ. Because I... In Christ, I can stand before God confidently that he will declare me righteous, not because I am righteous, but because Jesus is righteous, and I've trusted in him, and his righteousness has been reckoned to me. Second, notice what he says in verse 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death. In other words, I really want to know Jesus. I really want to be like him. I I want my character to be shaped by him. I want to begin to be the kind of person that he was. And so, notice that I may know the power of his resurrection. It's only, Romans 6, it's only by the power of Jesus' resurrection that we can have new life. It's the only way that we can live as a new creation. It's the only way that we can break free from the death of sin. What does Paul say in Ephesians 2? We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but we were raised to newness of life in Christ. That's exactly what he's talking about here in Philippians chapter 3. By the power of Jesus' resurrection, he breaks the power of reigning sin. Apart from Christ's resurrection, I can't do right. Even if I do the right thing, I'll do it for the wrong reason. But by the power of Christ's resurrection, I can begin to be what God created me to be in the first place. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. And then this is one, you know, we're so ready to skip over. And may share his sufferings. Paul knew that the Christian life is not a matter of avoiding hardships and sufferings. 
And that's what I've been thinking all week about what it meant that he counted everything as lost or that he lost everything. I, I, I was thinking, you know, this man actually lost flesh for following Christ. Beaten and flogged, including here in Philippi, right? He, he was beaten before he was thrown into jail in Philippi, where the jailer got converted in the middle of the night. Remember that from Acts 16? Uh, he had lost a lot, and he did not expect the Christian life not to involve suffering and hardship. And, and he, he goes on, doesn't he? Becoming like him in his death. Um, the, the Christian life is a call to us to come and die. Die to self, die to the world, die to the flesh, die to the devil. Um, it's, it's a, it's, it's a bit, Jesus is bidding us to come and die. And, and so we, we shouldn't be surprised when we face various kinds of trials and hardships and suffering in life. Paul's ready to embrace that if only he can be more like Christ. Notice, by the way, it's not that he wants to be more like Christ in order that God will accept him. He's already said he's accepted by God in Christ. He wants to be more like Christ because God has accepted him. It's just, it's just like a, a good relationship with an earthly parent. You, you, the reason you want to please your mother and your father is not to get them to love you, it's because they love you. And that's how it is with God. The reason you want to be more like Christ is not so that God will love you, it's because God does love you. He loves you like his child, and therefore you want to be like his child, and you want to be like your elder brother. And the Apostle Paul longs for that, and he knows that it's going to take the power of Christ's resurrection working in him so that the sufferings he experiences in life and even the dying of life are going to work to do what? Make him more like Christ. And then finally, look at verse 11 that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul, remember what he'll say in 1 Corinthians 15? If we're only living the Christian life for this life, then we are of all people most miserable. If, there, if there's no resurrection from the dead, then we, we, you know, we, we, <laughs> we ought to eat and drink and be merry because tomorrow we're going to die. For Paul, Christianity not only involves living for God now, it means hoping to be with God forever and being confident that we are because of the resurrection of Christ. And the Apostle Paul says, I found all three of those things in Jesus. And that's why I'm willing to give up everything because those things I have found and can only find in Jesus. But let me say beyond that, it is very clear that it's not just the benefits that Jesus gives to Paul that Paul wants. 
He doesn't view Jesus as a ticket to something else. He views Jesus as the treasure. Jesus is what he wants. Knowing him is what he wants. All these things come with Jesus and are only in Jesus, but it's Jesus himself that he wants more than anything else. So I'd ask you this morning, what do you want? Uh, Sarah Kennedy and Thomas, who are here today, and Jennings, um, my son, we, were, we, we did a Bible study this last year through Knowing God. And uh, that's a great book. It, it, I, I don't know how many times I've read it, but it edifies me every time I read it. And in maybe the second chapter, I can't remember exactly where, but in the second chapter or so, early on in the book, there's a story uh, where J.I. Packer is walking with an academic um, and they're talking about the fact that the academic has lost all possibility of professional advancement because of his commitment to Christ. You know, this is a university town. That kind of hits home. And the man says to him, Pack Packer sort of sympathetically speaks to him, and he says, you know, you know how are you doing with that? And the man said, it does, it, what I've lost does not matter because I have known God. I know God, and they haven't. And so whatever it is that I've lost, it doesn't matter because I've known God. That is exactly Paul's attitude here. It doesn't matter what I lose, because nobody can take God from me, nobody can take Christ from me, nobody can take Christ's benefits from me, and Christ is better than anything else in the world, and he's better than everything that I've lost. Now that is easy to say from the pulpit on a fine Sunday morning, but that can be really hard to believe down in the nitty-gritty nitty of life, but it's true. So let's pray that God would help us live that way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the congregation of Clemson Presbyterian Church. And uh, they have had their own hardships to go through collectively as a people. Lord, uphold them and encourage them. Do not let them be discouraged. Just don't let them be discouraged. Let them trust in you. You have done great things here for years and years and years. You are our help in ages past. You are our hope for years to come. Help them all believe that right now. The elders, the deacons, the women, the whole, the whole congregation. Help them to believe that. And then in, in their individual lives, whether they're at Clemson, going to school right now, whether whether they're working here in the community, whether they're teaching, no matter what they're doing, when, when the hardships come and the trials come, and even, even times when they have to give something up for the sake of the gospel, grant to them the mind of Christ, which we see here in the words of the Apostle Paul, that Christ is worth giving up everything. He's better than anything. He's our greatest treasure. 
and he'll never, ever leave us or forsake us or disappoint us. Everything else in life can leave us and forsake us and disappoint us, but not Jesus. Help us believe that down in the nitty-gritty of our individual lives. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.